Day three of the Michael Mattioli homicide trial. Julius Kim is a managing partner at Kim and Lavoie. He's a criminal defense attorney, and he is with us again this afternoon. Julius, thank you so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. I'll start with a broad question. Prosecutors wrapped up their case today. It took about two and a half days. Defense will pick up their case tomorrow. How did prosecutors do? What jumps out at you at how they presented their case? Well, I think the prosecution did as good of a job as they could with the facts that they had in front of them. You know, this case is a reckless homicide case, and whenever you hear the word homicide, it kind of makes people pause for obvious reasons. It means that someone died. Um, but really, a homicide case is kind of like a battery case wherein the victim died. So this is a relatively simple fact scenario in terms of it doesn't have you know tons and tons of witnesses. It's not a complicated case. There aren't any real technical issues. Um, this is the case where a battery was committed against someone and someone perished at the hands of another person. You know, the medical examiner is called to the stand today. She tells the jury that Acevedo died because of severe brain damage caused by a lack of oxygen. How complicating is that for the defense to hear those terms, that it was, it was the choking that, in her opinion, led to Acevedo's death? Very complicating. You know, we don't know exactly what the defense is going to be in this case, but if uh, one of the defense strategies or one of the defenses is that uh, Mattioli's actions wasn't a substantial factor in uh, Acevedo's death, that's, that causes a problem, okay? Because when you have a medical examiner up there saying that uh, this person died as a result of not enough oxygen getting to the brain, well, that begs the question, uh, why was there not enough oxygen that, went, that got to Acevedo's brain? And, and the obvious answer, at least the, the prosecution is hoping, is because Mattioli applied a chokehold for you know, almost 10 minutes on, on this person. Julius Kim, managing partner at Kim and Lavoie, is with us. In that same vein, the longtime medical examiner, Brian Peterson, who did the autopsy, did not testify. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. How did that play out today? Did this hurt prosecutors at all? Was it any bump in the road, or was it just as if he had been here? Yeah, I don't think it was any uh, bump in the road or any problem at all whatsoever. We mentioned yesterday the fact that this happens quite often, um, and uh, Certain medical examiners or, or other uh, doctors within the same office can testify uh, after reading uh, reports that were prepared by uh, another uh, doctor within that particular office, and it happens all the time. Uh, in this situation, it didn't seem like the defense made a big deal out of the fact that uh, the uh, original medical examiner who conducted the autopsy wasn't physically present in court. Um, so I think that the information that the state needed got into evidence, and, and it wasn't that, that big of a deal in the end. And Julius, would it be wise for Mattioli to take the stand? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's easy for me to sit here and play armchair quarterback, obviously. You know, I don't have all the facts in front of me. I don't have all of the reports in front of me. And I don't, I, I've never spoken to officer or former officer Mattioli, so I don't know how he would do on the stand. But it feels like uh, Mattioli needs to take the stand because there were a lot of things that came out in the state's case that suggested that Mattioli, um, you know, kind of went, went over the top here, so to speak. Um, this wasn't an intentional homicide. This was a reckless homicide. And while Mattioli may not have intended to kill Acevedo, uh, it sure looks like that he, he did through criminally reckless conduct. And he's going to have to explain why he kept that chokehold on for over 10 minutes, why he didn't check for a pulse, why he didn't check to see if he was breathing, especially since he's a trained police officer. So it almost begs for him to take the stand and, and explain these things to the jury. So my brother, who's an attorney, is never short in pointing out to me that attorneys are the only occupation mentioned in the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. 
We, we know how we know how important the work that attorneys do is. Here's my question: Are there times was and as a defense attorney, you don't really believe everything your client's saying, but you let that be the way you present your case because it's the best way to possibly exonerate your victim. You know what I'm getting at here. Sure. Or do you not ask the question sometimes as an attorney of your client because you don't want to know the answer? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question, John. Uh, you know, the, every attorney, every defense attorney, you know, practices differently. Personally, um, I think it's my job to kind of challenge uh, what a client uh, is saying to me, because if I don't challenge what the client is saying to me, then someone else is going to. And there has to be explanations for things that don't pass my smell test. So um, there are certain situations when you know, clients have nothing to lose, or, um, you know, we're trying to you know, go for a long shot defense where you have to put up a defense that might not be the best. I mean, defense attorneys aren't blind to these things uh, either, um, but you got to work with the facts that you have. But I think that a defense attorney, a good defense attorney, needs to point out these things to a defendant or a client so that he knows that what, you know, what he's saying or, or, or what he's alleging, you know, is might not fly. So we all agree that Every person has the right to be represented, no matter what they did. That's an important tenant of our system. Have you ever walked away from a case, Julius, because you you couldn't believe what the defendant was selling or you just couldn't get on board with, this just doesn't feel right to me? Well, I think that a lot of that um, is kind of taking care of it. The initial stages of representation, right? When people call to inquire about representation, we talk about what happened and we talk about, you know, expectations about what people think uh, should happen in a case or what they want to happen in the case. And then usually, you know, a good attorney, in my opinion, will kind of ferret those situations out at the beginning. If, if it just seems like it's unrealistic in terms of uh, how the case is going to end up or what a, a particular person uh, thinks uh, should happen in a case, then, uh, you know, you can always decline to take the case. What do you expect tomorrow when the defense begins to present their case? You know, I think a combination of things. I don't think that this is going to be necessarily a one particular defense. I think that they may try and attack that element of the offense of reckless homicide that we've been talking about, about whether uh, Mandiola's actions were uh, a substantial cause or a substantial factor in Acevedo's death. But I think we might also see uh, possibly a defense of others' uh, defense, that Mattioli was uh, uh, restraining uh, Acevedo because uh, Acevedo was attacking others. And under the law, people have the right to not only defend themselves, but to also uh, defend others. And so uh, we might see that come out uh, as a defense. I, I'm not really sure, but those are kind of the two main things that I'm anticipating uh, the defense might come out, uh, put forward in this trial. Criminal defense attorney Julius Kim is a managing partner at Kim & Lavoie. Julius, thank you so much for the perspective.